0: Our sermon text for this evening comes from Romans 1, verses 13 to 17. You can find that in your Bible on page 939. Romans 1, verses 13 to 17. The word of God says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. But thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can hear from your word. And I just pray that our eyes, our ears, and our hearts are open to receive what you have to say tonight. So may your word be proclaimed boldly, and may we come away from here loving you more. I pray everything in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. God is holy and righteous and good. Yet his creation, human beings, have sinned against him. The first man, Adam, was told not to take and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or else he would surely die. And when tempted, his wife took and ate and gave the fruit to Adam. He took and a this may seem like a small infraction, and not worthy of death, but it is absolutely high treason. It is the highest form of rebellion against the highest authority. Let's say a man punches his friend. He might get in trouble, but the penalty won't be severe, because there are equals. Let's say the same man punches a police officer. Now the penalty and the punishment may be more. Let's say that same man punches the mayor. Now the infraction is even more severe and the penalty more severe. Why? The man was doing the same thing. The penalty becomes more because of who the sin was against, who the infraction was against, the authority of the person the infraction was against. You can see this even in our court system. You can lie to your friend, maybe even lie to a parent, and you'll get in trouble. But if you lie in the court of law, it is perjury. You can see jail time for that. The penalty increases when the person you have sinned against is higher in authority. The taking of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not just a small infraction. It was the highest of crimes because it was against the highest authority. God, who all of us have sinned against, is the highest authority. What is God to do with disobedient creation? Should he destroy them all? The Bible says the soul that sins shall surely die. And God is perfectly just and righteous and blameless if he rid this whole planet of his disobedient people. The penalty of sin is death. You deserve to perish. You deserve death. You deserve... Eternity in hell in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and the worm does not die. You and I have sinned against a holy and righteous God. All authority is his. In our nature passed down from Adam we are sinners. This is bad news. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to die, all of us deserve hell. All of us deserve to be kicked out of the kingdom forever. Is this the future of all mankind? Is death and destruction all that remains for rebellious sinners? Is there only bad news? No, brothers and sisters. God, in his grace, does not destroy his rebellious creation. Instead, God the Father sent God the Son to be destroyed in the place of rebellious sinners. As it says in the Gospel of John, you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here are the two, some of the two most beautiful words in the Bible. But God. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. This is good news. This is the gospel. God the Father gave God the Son, sending him into his creation to live a perfect, righteous, holy life, completely obeying God's righteous laws. He died on the cross, the death you and I deserve. This death was an atoning death for the sins of all who believe, both the Jew and the Greek. Then Jesus rose, because death has no hold on him. And now all who believe will rise and have eternal life. This is all because of what God has done in Christ for rebellious sinners. There is nothing for us to be ashamed of here. This is the message of salvation for the Jew, for the Greek, for the Irish, for the Italian, for the African, for the Asian, all the nations, every man, woman, and child. This is the gospel. This is salvation, salvation from hell. Salvation from the wrath of God. Salvation from our sin. We are given this gift of the kingdom. We are adopted into the family of God. If you have not not yet believed, you need to hear this. More than that, you need to believe this to turn from foolish thinking, from love of self, from love of sin, turn from your own works and your acts of piety and gain to gain heaven and trust in the finished work of Christ. If you are a believer, you need to hear this. We need to hear the gospel too. This message isn't just for entrance into the kingdom. This message is the point, it's the whole point of why we are here. We need to be reminded of what God has done in Christ to bring us to himself. A sermon preached in a Christian church that does not have the gospel in it is not a Christian sermon. We need to hear of the finished work of Christ. The gospel is just not preached to reach the lost, but to encourage the saints, to ensure of our salvation, and to motivate us to holy living and sanctification. In this letter to the church in Rome, it had both Jew and Greek believers. Paul writes explaining the gospel of Christ with such great precision and application. You can simply outline the book of Romans with three words guilt, grace, and gratitude. Paul writes the guilt of sinners, exposing both Jew, those who had come from a background having th- the traditions and practices and the scriptures of the Old Testament, and the Gentiles or the Greeks, those who were, who were anyone except the Jews. In Romans, in chapters 1 to 7, Paul lays out our guilt because we all have sinned against God. In chapters 8 to 11, he shows how it is God's grace that we are saved, that he explains the gospel. And then in chapters 12 to 16, he explains how then we are to live in gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ. So Paul's writing to a church that already has believers, and he's emphasizing the importance of delivering this message of the gospel to them, as well as the unbelievers. In this passage, we will unpack the importance of why, as believers, we need to hear this message. We will see why it is necessary for it to be preached. We all need to hear the gospel. The gospel encourages and edifies believers. The gospel brings sinners into the kingdom of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, no matter what the world says about the message. Christians, there is nothing to be ashamed of in this beautiful gospel. We all need to hear the gospel. The believers need to hear the gospel unbelievers need to hear the gospel. So let's begin. Verse 13, Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul, up to this point, has been providentially hindered from going to Rome, to be with the church there. He would eventually be in Rome, but as a prisoner. In the meantime, Paul writes to them, that he would much rather be there in person to preach the gospel to them. You may be asking, why would Paul want to preach the gospel and reap a harvest among those who have already believed? Don't they already believe the gospel? Let's think of some examples. Tom starts out his day as usual. He wakes up, he gets ready for the day, he has his breakfast, he reads his Bible. Things are going great, life is good. On the way to work, there's traffic. He has an important meeting to get to, and he can't be late. He begins to get frustrated. Before he was a Christian, Tom had temper issues. He tries to remain calm now, but he finds himself cursing, saying bad things and having a tantrum in the car. When he gets to work, he can't shake this feeling of guilt. He acted like he did before he was a Christian. And this guilt lasts the rest of the week. Tiffany, a strong Christian mom who homeschools, was having a great day teaching. That is until her seven-year-old claims he forgot how to read. He has been reading fine for years, but for some reason this day he decided to pretend he can't read. Tiffany gets frustrated, angrily yells at him. As the week goes on, this continues to happen. Then her guilt for yelling at him and getting frustrated piles up. Juan is a Christian who came out of a religious background that told him he had to pray, holding certain beads every day, in order to be a good follower. He now often feels guilt and shame when he doesn't follow that tradition of man. And Barbara has been a Christian for five years, but sometimes she scrolls through social media and she finds herself looking at things that don't honor God. She feels the guilt and shame and starts to question if she is even saved. How often are you like Tom, flipping out in traffic? How often are you like Tiffany, getting frustrated at your children? How often are you like Juan, thinking you need to do things in a certain way to please God? How often are you like Barbara, flipping through social media, looking at things that don't glorify God? Imagine these Christians going to a church where they don't hear the Bible, the gospel preached. They get self-help and TED Talk sermons. They get, here are five ways to be a better this or that. This type of message does not offer what the gospel has for us in Christ. What I love about being part of a Reformed Presbyterian church, especially in the OPC, is I know anywhere I go in the country, I'm going to hear the gospel. In the morning service, in the evening service, we're going to get the gospel of Christ, the message of forgiveness. And that's what motivates us to turn from sin. And this is why Paul writes this here. He writes this tremendous theological work explaining the gospel, Sending it to Christians who already believed. Why? Because we can so easily forget. Martin Luther has said, We need to hear the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. Christian, you have believed, but it is so easy to forget. Your days are long, filled with things to do. You have work, you have family, you have school, you battle illnesses, struggle with. Many things in life. You often feel inadequate. You continue to battle sin. Sometimes you fail in that temptation to sin, just like the Christians in the examples I gave before. Let me remind you Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose for you. That's the gospel. You have been forgiven, you have been adopted into the family of God, you have inherited a kingdom. Let's not forget Tom, Tiffany, Juan, and Barbara. And you, all of us, are guilty of sin, but our sins are forgiven in Christ. As believers, we have been forgiven. And now we are reminded and urged to repent, not for forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven. So now we turn from our sin out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. No amount of work will get us forgiveness. The work has been done. It is not faith, plus works that save you. It is faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. That will save us from the wrath of God because Jesus Christ bore that wrath for us on the cross. This is the message Paul wants to bring in order to reap a harvest among the church in Rome. He desires to have the privilege of seeing the saints grow in the Lord, in their sanctification, in their holiness. He wants to be part of discipling the church in Rome so they can be followers of Christ. This should be the desire of every pastor, and I'm sure it is the desire of Pastor Smith here. He desires for you to grow in the Lord, faithfully preaching the gospel in the morning and in the evening. Every minister should desire what Paul wants and what Paul writes to the Galatian church when he says, I anguish until Christ be formed in you. It is my desire to have opportunities to continue to plant seeds so that Christ may be formed in you by preaching the gospel. And this reaping of the harvest isn't just for the ministers. It's for all of us. We all have opportunities to share the gospel. At home, at work, or school, there are believers that you can encourage and unbelievers who you can share Christ with. Paul here continues in verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks, the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The apostle writes here that he's under obligation. It may be better translated that Paul is in debt. Paul believes he owes it to people to bring them the message of salvation. To the Greeks, who are Greek speakers. To the barbarians, who are foreigners outside of the Greek-speaking nation. This is what Paul is saying. He wants to go beyond where he's gone to bring the gospel to people. To the wise, those are the people who are well-educated formally. To the foolish, the uneducated, people who are seen as simple. Paul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus to be an apostle. Paul has been, a, per, has been personally appointed by God. Now Paul is saying he owes it to everyone to preach the gospel. In his travels chronicled in Acts, we see Paul go everywhere he can to preach the gospel. Many people Paul went to rejected this message. Many tried to kill Paul. Paul even, in Acts 14, gets stoned and left for dead. But then he gets up and he goes and preach. He preaches the gospel the very next day. Paul was arrested, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, yet he still preaches the gospel to everyone. Paul was under obligation. He felt a debt to people. He owed it to them to preach the truth of salvation in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, do you share this obligation? Do you feel a debt to share the good news with your friends, family, your neighbors? Do you want to share Christ with everyone? Do you feel a burden to even encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with the gospel? We have the words of eternal life. Jesus Christ may have not knocked you off your horse as he did Paul, but he has awakened you from your dead state and raised you to life to share the gospel. You too are under obligation. You owe it to others to give them the words of eternal life. You are in debt to both believer and unbeliever. May you... Maybe you feel like you don't know how to do this. It might feel like a tough task. You don't know how to start. Have you ever found a great deal on an item? Have you ever been shopping, maybe at the food store, and you see a two-for-one deal? That's great. And you have to go and tell somebody where to get that deal. You know how to do this. Maybe you're driving along, and you see gas for two cents cheaper, and you call your mom and say, there's gas down at the corner, two cents cheaper, just to save her a few dollars. You know how to share this good news. I even heard tonight one of the, the children telling me he got a shirt for $4. That was good news to him. He's sharing good news. We know how to do this. We are under obligation to share the gospel. Because there's no greater news than the words of eternal life. We have been saved by Christ. Not by what we've done, but by but what he has done. You need to feel this obligation If you have felt it for worldly things, we need to feel it for heavenly things. Go and share the most important news ever. Share the gospel. In verse 15, Paul again expresses his excitement by saying he is eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. Once again, I remind you there are both believers and unbelievers in Rome. And he is eager, he is ready, he is more than willing to preach to both. Paul knows this message is not just telling them of a great deal of where he got a tunic or where he got a great fish dinner. He's giving them the words of eternal life. He's giving them the words that save the lost and sanctify the believer. Why does Paul feel in debt and eager to preach the gospel to all? Verse 16. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And it's actually on the wall behind me I noticed this morning. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. He goes on in 17. For it, in it, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. When Paul and others were preaching a message of a man dying and rising from the dead, that sounds foolish. Paul writes in First Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. For the words of the cross is full is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not go, know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, with wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Brothers and sisters, not much has changed since the times of Paul. This message that we have to deliver may still seem foolish. You may feel embarrassed to tell somebody that you believe that a man lived, died, and rose for you. But it is true. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed by. What we believe is true. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose for you. You know this. You believe this. Why does Paul say he is not ashamed? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul, again, is writing to a church made up of Jews and non-Jews. He reminds them later in in the uh, letter to the Romans that the oracles and the promises of God belong to the Jews. God works through the Jewish nation, his chosen people. Now here he is saying the gospel is for the Jew first, but not just for the Jew. It is for everyone. It is the power of God for all who believe. The Jews had to be told this so they didn't feel like salvation was only for them. And the Gentiles had to be reminded of this so that they knew that God still loved the Jews. But everyone must put their faith in Christ. It is the power of God for salvation. At one point in my life, I didn't believe. I was lost. I was a sinner. Lost, loving my sin. Maybe you remember a time when you were lost in your sin. I was brought to realize I was a sinner and I needed to change. I sinned against the holy God. I heard the bad news that my sin earned me hell. Then I heard the good news. I heard the words of eternal life, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for me. And I believed. You have believed, dear one. You have been saved from your sin, from hell, from the wrath of God. It is the power of God that has saved you. You couldn't save yourself. God saved you by his grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Believer, be encouraged. You may have a hard life. You may experience, again, loss, illness, pain, suffering. There's so many things I can list of what we go through as humans on this earth. But you have believed in a heavenly Savior, Jesus Christ. You have inherited a kingdom that will never be shaken. The power of God will not be shaken or destroyed. Verse 17, the last verse today. For in it... The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Being that it is Reformation month on the 31st, it will be what we call as Protestants Reformation Day. I'm going to quote some from a well known German monk named Martin Luther. This very verse, verse 17, is a verse that really opened up the eyes of Martin Luther. When he saw this word righteousness in the Greek, It means regard as righteous, to count as righteous, to declare as righteous. Luther said, You mean, here Paul is not talking about a righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to the people who don't have righteousness of their own. Luther realized it wasn't his own righteousness that saved him. It was a foreign righteousness, something he referred to as an alien righteousness outside himself. Luther concluded, When I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. Brothers and sisters, you have done nothing to save yourself. That's a beautiful thing. Salvation is completely holy of God. God has declared you righteous through faith, through trust, in the only righteous one, Jesus Christ. You have been born again. You must be born again. Not only are you saved, and this is important, You have been declared righteous. It's not as if God looks at you as if you've not sinned, but he sees you as you've always been perfect, righteous, not because you are righteous, but because of a foreign righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Here's another verse that I love. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is, is the gospel. This is what we need to hear. Believer and unbeliever. This is the good news. Jesus took your place on the cross. He died for you, for your sins. Your sins are atoned for. You are forgiven. You are blessed. You are now seen as righteous. This is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. What is there to be ashamed of? Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? Do you share this? Do you encourage others other Christians in the gospel. If someone asked you if you believe this, would you say yes or would you be ashamed? I heard a story of a man who was not ashamed. This is a story behind the hymn, I Have Decided. Many of you have probably heard this, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. So this takes place in a small village in India. There was a family who came to faith in Christ. The villagers were upset and his family was taken to the public square and brought before the chief. The chief said to them, if you don't recant, I will kill you all. The man thought of a song that he had composed when he first came to faith, and he sang the words, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So they killed the man's children. Given another chance to recant, the chief threatened to kill his wife. He began to sing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And she was killed. After that, he was given one more chance to recant, to save his own life. But he continued to sing, The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And he was killed but the story doesn't end there. That very chief who had this man's family killed and him killed as well, by witnessing the faith of this family, it planted a seed in him and that seed grew. And eventually that chief himself came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he called all the villagers together and he told them that he now believes and follows Jesus. And through his witness, that village came to faith. In Jesus Christ. Because of this family's faith in Christ. The power of God. Even in the face of death. Those that killed this man and his family. Came to faith. And are now brothers and sisters in Christ. This family was not ashamed of the gospel. They gave their lives knowing who saved them by his power. This powerful gospel witness God used to bring many more to faith and to call more of his children to Christ. We may not be called to die for our faith, but we are called to die to ourself. We are not to be ashamed of this gospel. We are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is the mighty force of God by which he saves the lost and the rebel sinners. It is not the power of the one sharing the gospel. When you share it, it is not on you. Part of my job is sales, and I don't like sales. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is we don't have to sell it. We just have to tell it. And God has the power to save through it. You just have to deliver the message. We are under obligation. We owe it to people. We owe it to our neighbors. We owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind them of the glorious gospel. Be encouraged. Don't be ashamed. You have the words of eternal life. God has the power to save. We need not be ashamed. He is worth not only dying for, but Jesus is worth living for. Always remember this. You have sinned against the Holy God, but you have been saved. You have been saved from your sin. You have been saved from hell. You have been saved from the wrath of God. You are forgiven. You are adopted into the family of God. Continue to come to Christ and hear this gospel to continue to be sanctified and to live for him out of gratitude for what he's done. There's no turning back. There's nothing to turn back to. Keep your eye on Jesus Christ. He is the good news. This good news is for you, Christian. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. This is good news for you, unbeliever. Turn to Christ and live. There's no reason to be ashamed. The gospel is the shameless power of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord. We can't thank you enough. You sent your Son to die to save sinners who turn to you and trust in the faithful work of Jesus Christ. We are nothing. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve one breath for what we've done. We've rebelled against the highest authority, but yet that highest authority condescends to come down to save us rebel sinners. We thank you for that. May we believe it more and more. May we preach that to each other. May we preach it to this lost and dying world because the gospel is the power of you for salvation. Let us believe that verse, live that verse, share that verse. Thank you, Lord. I pray everything in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.